Y'all, that is so fun. I hope you enjoyed that video um, as an intro to the sermon series that we are starting, The Theology of Play. Uh, thanks to Mike Shasha for putting it together, and thanks to all of you who submitted clips to be a part of that video. Uh, it just it makes me want to go out and play, like right now, because um, it's so beautiful outside. But that's part of what inspired this series, to be honest. And, but when you think about those two things together, theology and play, it might kind of give you pause a little bit, right? Like those aren't necessarily two things that you would put together right away. Uh, theology being the, the study of God and play. And so what in the world are we going to do with this? Um, I am just, I'm so excited for this series. I, I just wanted to name that off the beginning that, um, that they don't seem to go together. And yet as we get into scripture today and as we study in the coming weeks, we will find out that not only is God a playful God, but that we were also made to play. And so I'm so excited to explore that with you here this morning. We're going to look at uh, the creation story and how God plays in creation. And we'll, uh, we'll have a chance to talk through some of that a little bit as we go. Uh, but I think one of the things that right off the bat that is important to name is that kids, as you saw in the video, of all ages, right, um, don't need to be taught how to play. There's just something about kids just automatically know how to play. And they, sometimes we can give them guidance, we can give them uh, toys or suggestions or other things um, that, they can, that they can use to play, but they just inherently know how to play and enjoy it so much. I was playing a game with, uh, with our, my three-year-old James not too long ago, and it was a game that we had played as a family with my older kids, uh, Emma and Ann are seven and nine, and so the, the four of us, the older ones, had played before. James hadn't played, he just kind of plays along. Um, but he asked me, hey, Dad, can we play this game? And I was like, uh, sure, buddy. And so we get the game out, we set the board up, and he's, he's just ready to go. He's like, okay, my turn first. And he just makes a move, like it's just a completely random move. It doesn't have anything to do with how you play the game, like none of the strategy, all out the door. But he just loves to play. And he, okay, your turn, dad. And we, just, and we just took turns going back and forth. And I, don't, I, I think we both won um, because it was so much fun just being together. But kids don't need to be taught um, how to play. There's, there's just something in them that they understand instinctively. Um, how to play. I think actually when we start to get in and, and tell them how they should play and when we start introducing restrictions and rules, like that's when play <laughs> ceases to be fun for kids. So congratulations, uh, parents. We, we're responsible for ruining play for our children, yes. right? And I, tr and I tried to do that. I tried to tell him, no, James, like we're supposed to roll the dice first and then you move the thing. And he's like, no, dad. He's like, he moved it. And then he's like, and now I roll. I got a one. Your turn, dad. <laughs> It's like, uh, it's like Calvin Ball. I don't know if you, if you read the, um, the Bill Watterson uh, comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, but, but the, it, like the only rule in Calvin Ball is that you just make up the rules as you go, you know, and, and, and yeah. there's freedom in that. And it's meant to be enjoyed. And, and yet we have such a difficult time as we grow remembering what, what play is, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so that's part of what we want to spend time doing this morning is remembering what play is like. And so we had an opportunity this last Wednesday at our, at our deep dive to, to introduce that topic and just ask, hey, and, and I invite you to comment in the comment section as you're following along now, um, what are some of your favorite ways to play? Summer is kind of a, a natural time for playing, for being outside, enjoying the world. Um, and so I just invite you to comment on, on, the, on the feeds as you're watching. What were some of your favorite summer pastimes or some of the favorite ways you play or just enjoy um, God's creation? And so I don't know, Vern, what, are, what were some of yours? 
Yeah, summer, summer for us was, well, I shared on, on Wednesday that one of my memories, you know, of summer is, and my, my brothers and I give, still give our mom uh, a hard time about this, but that we, we lived in a neighborhood full of kids and we were in bed at 7.30 and we could hear like all the neighborhood kids <laughs> playing outside, right? And we're like, mom, why, did, why didn't we get to be out there? That's the best part time of the day. She was like, because with the three of you, like by that point, I was done with you. Like I, I just <laughs> needed you to be in bed. She wanted to play. She right? wanted to play, yeah. right. But w- when we were able to play, um, we, we literally would leave, our, like, leave the house you know, in, in the morning and get on our bikes and, and not come back until dinner time. And we were always with friends and we would show up you know, to, to lunch at someone else's house and that parent would call and, and check in. But we just, like our play was exploring. You know, we would play hide and seek or we would play these, these games that required us to just spread out and be in the neighborhood and like tromp through people's backyards. And I mean, just imagination, you know, ran wild when we were little. And so, so when I think of my childhood and think of play, that, that's what comes to mind. I mean, it was just it was exploration, it was imagination, it was, it was wonder, yeah. you know, adventure is really uh, what it was. Yeah, absolutely. I, for me, um, having grown up in Michigan, we lived near Lake Michigan. And so anytime you could get near the water, like that was just full on play. And you'd bring, you could bring a Frisbee, you could bring nothing at all and just play in the sand and, and the waves and just have so much fun. Uh, I know others that had shared that as well. Um, some people mentioned some old school games like Kick the Can. Uh, I know Lori Beth used to enjoy playing that. Um, Ghost in the Graveyard, I think was another one that somebody mentioned. Um, just these neighborhood games, again, that just bring people together to have fun and just to enjoy being outside. Um, one of the things I love to do also as a kid, I, I love to climb trees. And so we had, a, we had a fantastic tree in our backyard and I would, I would just climb the tree and it overlooked, I could see over the, over the top of our roof and I could see the, the cars coming down the street. And so I just watched like the, <laughs> just watch traffic go by, uh, watch people and just enjoy being in a tree, like sitting in a tree, like, that was fun. Like no agenda, play. right? No agenda, no agenda. nothing yeah. at all. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so as we met on, on Wednesday during the deep dive and we had this, this conversation, you could just sense from everybody how much fun it was to relive those times and to think about just the joy in, and the freedom and, and, and just the wonder, like you said, of, of being a kid and of playing. And, and sometimes I feel like... Um, but it was so telling in that setting. Like as you know, we're just looking at people's faces on the screen, right? But, but you could see people light up uh, with joy as they were re- reliving those memories. And, and again, that's part of what we wanted to bring to, to this series and, and point out. But, but somewhere along the way, we, we kind of lose that, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's why something like Wednesday was so, so special and, and so meaningful. Because I, and I, I'm, I'm sitting there listening to the stories that these people are telling and I realize halfway through that I'm smiling like an idiot. Like I just have this huge grin on my face. Yeah. Like if my wife or kids had walked in the room, they'd have been like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> but it was just the listening to people talk about play and remember play that just, it, it, it brought joy. And, and I think it's the same reason that we enjoy watching kids play because it re- like there's something in us that, that remembers that and, and that wakes up that, you know, wakes up to that reality and, and this idea that at one point it was inherently a part of who we are. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think that that's why this series feels so important right now. You know, it's not, because I think it's easy to equate play with silliness. You mm-hmm. know, theology is the deep, like important, meaningful, serious work of trying to understand God and play is just being silly. Mm-hmm. And, and yet that's, 
you know, there might be some truth to that. We can be silly and play, and, and the study of trying to understand God can be very deep and meaningful and serious work, but there's something about the nature of who God is that, that is written into who we are, mm. in which play is inherent, and yet we forget that. Um, and and I, one of my favorite um, speakers and, and authors, and he's no longer with us, um, but uh, Mike Iaconelli was the, the president of Youth Specialties, and so in, in the years that I did youth ministry here, the early, um, my early years of youth ministry, we would go to the National Youth Workers Convention and, and get to hear uh, Mike Iaconelli speak, and he, he looked like a, like a teddy bear. I mean, he was like probably about as wide as he was, tall and just bearded and wild hair, and he just had this like this whimsy about him, and you just wanted to hug him, and you felt like you were his best friend by the time he got done speaking, you know? Mm. But he, he writes, um, he has a, a book called Dangerous Wonder, which, which really just gets at the heart of, I think, this, this series. And in the introduction, he talks about being a child and, and like, imagining that he's Superman. And, 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 you know, along with that comes this, like, I want to experience flight, you know? And so he talks about going to get not just the everyday towels that his family would use, but like the really fluffy, soft, like the big towels that his, his, fam- his parents kept hidden from him um, because they were reserved for guests. But he would go and find these and, you know, time around his neck and nice towel dragging in the dirt would run and find like the highest place that he could, that he could jump off of and land safely. And just the, like the feeling of flight and the, you know, the wind in his face. And, and he, he says though, then came a day when without warning, without provocation, I woke up, never to wear a cape again. Wherever the knowledge came from, it came nonetheless. And from that moment on, I knew flying was nothing more than a childhood fantasy. I would never fly, and there was no Superman. And he, he goes on to say, in retrospect, my day of enlightenment was a very sad day. I now know that something inside of me died that day. Whatever that something was, it was the stuff of dreams and imagination, the place where dancing, singing, laughter, and play lived. Even at six, I understood the possibility of flying wasn't the point. It was the aliveness I felt when I thought I could fly. It was the voice I heard deep inside, a warm and loving voice a living, believing voice, a wild and dangerous voice. Every time I heard that voice, I recognized who it was. It was God. But that day when I was just six years old, my God hearing went bad. And and then he kind of speaks to the collective and and names what many of us struggle with as, as adults. He says, we don't want to stop hearing God's voice. Indeed, God keeps on speaking, but our lives become louder. The increasing crescendo of our possessions, the ear-piercing noise of busyness, and the soul-smothering volume of our endless activity drowned out the still, small voice of God. Most of us cannot say when it happened. We only know that it happened. When we became aware of the absence of God's voice, there was a thousand deaths within us. Idealism and innocence died first, and across the scattered terrain of our souls, one could see the withered remains of dreams and spontaneity and poetry and passion and ourselves, our real selves, the persons that we were made to be. Listen, our hope over the next few weeks is not to be dismissive of the difficult things that are happening in this world. 
It's not to talk about play so that we can ignore everything else. It's maybe to give us a fresh lens through which to view the world. It's to help us to wake up to this thing that was meant to be a part of who we are. This idea that God is a playful God and that we are meant to play in response. And, and we'll talk some about what, what play is because it's not just silliness, is it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And so we're going to, um, so we're going to start out this morning in Proverbs chapter 8, looking at an account of, it's, it's, a, it's a retelling of the creation story, um, but it's told from a voice uh, that is only named in Proverbs chapter 8 as wisdom. And so in the beginning of Proverbs chapter 8, uh, wisdom calls out. And uh, so wisdom in this case is just a personification of one of God's characteristics. I think that's probably the simplest way to explain it. There are lots of other, the- if you want a theological excursus this week on the theology and play thing, uh, on the theology side. Oh, that's a fancy word for rabbit trails. Yes, right? it, it is. And I spent all of Wednesday on one. Right. Um, but invite you, if you're looking for, for such a thing, uh, maybe this is play for you to dig out uh, theology books and read. Uh, check out Proverbs chapter eight. There are a lot of people who have a lot of things to say about who is this character wisdom? Is it the Holy spirit? Is it something else? Is it something God created? A lot of fun in there. We're going to go with it is a characteristic that is speaking in a personified way, a characteristic of God. Uh, So like when you read righteousness and justice kiss, there's nobody named righteousness who is kissing a person named justice, right? Like that's a personification. So that's what this is. Um, But it starts out this way. Wisdom, uh, I'm going to read the first couple verses and then the next ones will be on your screen. In, In the beginning of chapter eight, it says, does not wisdom call out Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, wherever the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate, leading into the city at the entrance. She cries aloud, to you, O people, I call out. And then it goes on to list several things that, several truths that wisdom lists about life in the world um, and and good and evil and and what we should be doing um, in response to it. And so, uh, but then we get to verse 22, and this is where you'll see uh, the words on the screen. Wisdom says this. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. And I love these next two verses. They kind of summarize the theme for this series. Then I was constantly at his side, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Amen. I absolutely love uh, those images of, of rejoicing in God's presence with God all of the time, um, delighting in God and in God's creation. I think it's such a beautiful reminder, again, of, of the the way that we are called to relationship with God. 
Um, interestingly, this, this scripture I was talking about, who is wisdom, uh, this scripture falls in the lectionary on Trinity Sunday. So there's something about this passage that reminds us that we are made to be in relationship just as God is. And God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit exist in relationship and, and kind of in this, this intricate dance of, of interdependency. Uh, where there are, uh, are three but one. And, and, and yet, it's, so, it's, so it's a relationship. It's dynamic. It's ongoing. It's, it's interdependent. Uh, and that is what God invites us into from the beginning, from the creation story. When, when, when God says, let us make man in our own image uh, and informs us out of the dust of the ground, God is inviting us to be in relationship with God. And, and I just love those, those two passages, those two verses, 30 and 31, talking about being in that relationship and just, just delighting mm. in God's presence and, and, and enjoying being with God. Uh, such a beautiful, beautiful picture um, of how we are made to be. Um, I, I just want to point out one other thing. In the, in the uh, Common English Bible, the translation says this, um, I was beside him as a master of crafts. This is verse 30. I was having fun smiling before him all the time, frolicking with his inhabited earth and delighting in the human race. I love all those words, uh, frolicking, delighting, smiling before God, having fun. Um, again, just such a beautiful picture of how we are meant to be in relationship with God. Right, because we were created in the image of God. We were mm-hmm. created out of that relationship. And, I, and, and I, I love that idea that, you know, for us, trying to understand and then trying to do a, at least a halfway decent job of describing, describing and explaining the Trinity, this, this word that doesn't even exist in Scripture as we use it, I love that, 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 you know, the early theologians did think about it as this dance, mm-hmm. you know, and we've, we tend to go way away from that, you know, and think about it as something that we have to be able to to, to quantify and to qualify. And, and yet, for them, it was understanding God in relationship. And we were born out of that relationship. And there's, you know, so, so we're made in that image, but that, that idea of, of love and delight is, is written into the creation story. Um, so my, my kids have um, a copy of the, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And we ended up having to buy a new copy recently because I've worn our other copy out because I would continue to take it and bring it here with me or use it during you know, sermons. And Piper was like, you have the battered copy. We're going to get a new one. And so this morning she was like, are you taking the new copy with you? And I was like, no, I'm fine. Like, y'all keep the new copy. But it, it's this, if, if you're not familiar with it, listen, whether you have children or not, I would, I would encourage you to, to pick up this, this, this depiction of... Um, the, the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones paints the narrative of, of Scripture. Um, not only are the illustrations beautiful, but the way that she, she draws out these stories and then the way in every story, like Jesus, you know, shows up. Like the, you know, Jesus is always on the horizon. I have a, a, a um, pastor friend of mine who, who's a part of a group of pastors and, and, and they meet annually and they're mentored and discipled, you know, by, by a guy that's been in ministry for decades. And, and he said that every like two or three years, they'll come together for this weekend and say, um, the only thing that we're going to read together is from the Jesus Storybook Bible, because I want you to remember um, 
this, you know, this, this nature, this relational nature of who God is. And so I just... And, and as a setup to that, I just yeah. really quick want to mention also that in that verse, in, in verse 30, Proverbs 8, 30, um, there's a phrase that says, when, when I was beside him constantly, um, that is also, that can also be translated as uh, I was as a master craftsperson, as somebody who is, is gifted in, in crafting and creativity. Uh, but it can also uh, be translated, the Hebrew can also be translated like a little child. Mm. And so again, this, this idea of play and, and frolicking and fun and all this, like, so it's actually right there in that verse, in that relationship description, um, we were to be in God's presence like a little child. So I, yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to hearing this, uh, this description from the creation story in the Jesus storybook. So she titles this, The Beginning, A Perfect Home. In the beginning, there was nothing, nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see, only emptiness and darkness and nothing but nothing. But God was there, and God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Gosh, that, we could stop there, right? That'll <laughs> preach. I'll take this emptiness, and I'll fill it up. Like a mommy bird flutters her wings over her eggs to help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep, silent darkness. He was making life happen. God spoke. That's all. And whatever he said, it happened. God said, hello, light. And light shone into the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, hello sea, hello sky. And a great space opened up wide and deep and high. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, hello land. And there splashing up through the oceans came cliffs, mountains, sandy beaches. You're good, God said. And they were. Hello, trees, God said. Hello, grass and flowers and everything, everywhere burst into life. He made buds bud and shoots shoot, flowers flower. You're good, God said, and they were. Hello, stars, God said. Hello, sun, hello, moon, and whizzing into the darkness came fiery globes spinning around and around, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. You're good, God said. And they were. Hello, birds, God said, and with a fluttering and flapping and chirping and singing, birds filled the skies. Hello, fish, God said, and with a darting and dashing and wriggling and splashing, fish filled the seas. You're good, God said, and they were. Then God said, hello, animals, and everyone came out to play. (laughs) The earth was filled with noisy noises, growling and gobbling and snapping and snorting and happy scruffuffling. You're good, God said, and they were. God saw all that he had made and he loved them, and they were lovely because he loved them, but God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children, and the world would be their perfect home. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind and the trees, the wonderful song of love to, one, to the one who made them. Their hearts were filled with happiness, and nothing ever made them sad or lonely or sick or afraid. God looked at everything he had made. Perfect, he said. 
than it was. But all the stars and the mountains and oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began. Oh my gosh, and I love the way that she paints this, this picture of the creation story that God did not create because he had to. God created because he, de- he, he desired to share his delight with something, yeah. specifically with someone, yeah. with us, right? With humanity. Absolutely. And, and that whole story is just, that whole story is God playing, right? <laughs> Light, uh, water, like uh, everything. It's just, it's just play, it's playing. Like it, like it reminds me, of, <laughs> reminds me of a little bit of Bob Ross, right? You remember Bob Ross, the painter? Like, I'm just going to paint a happy little tree right here. <laughs> like God's just doing, like just boom, like let's, let's make a wispy little cloud right here. And this is what God is doing in creation. Um, and it doesn't stop, right? It's ongoing. We're able to witness that same uh, creation in play every single day. And so I invite you to comment now in in the comment section, where do you notice God playing today? Mm. Is there a place that you go? Is there something you do? Um, For me, I'm always drawn to water. And so there's a way that particularly early in the morning or late, kind of later in the afternoon when um, the sun is either coming up or going down where where the water reflects, and particularly if if it's a calm day, you can see these like sparkles just all over the tops of the waves as the sunlight hits the water. And to me, that's like, that's just a very playful way of uh, just light bouncing, right? It's just this thing that God didn't have to do, but yet it's there and it's beautiful and it's playful. And I love seeing it. Where are some of the ways that you see uh, God playing? Yeah, I I, I think honestly it is, um, it's, I'm I'm up before my, my family, and, and it's in, you know, I love to, to go and sit outside on, on our porch swing and, and kind of listen to the world wake up, mm-hmm. right? Listen to, um, to, to birds sing and to, um, we used to have a rooster in our neighborhood that's no longer there. <laughs> I don't miss the rooster, but, um, but just listening to this, this thing, these birds, I mean, it's, it's everything doing the thing that it was created to do. Yeah. And it does that over and over and over again. And creation never tires of glorifying God. Yeah. And, and it's always a reminder that we forget how, right? We wrestle with how to do that. And, and you, you were talking, um, I'd love for you to talk about um, the thing that we were talking about earlier and just the, like the wonderment of experiencing creation as, yeah. as our, our first fathers and mothers were experiencing it. I think one of the things that's so amazing about creation is that we are always discovering new things to be amazed by, right? You think about the fact that when, when the scripture was written, like there wasn't such a thing as uh, drones, right? Like you couldn't fly a drone up above a river and watch its meandering path. You, you couldn't fly it over an animal migration in the, in the plains of Africa and see how beautiful that sweeping mov- movement is. I, you couldn't, we didn't have telescopes to see that there were rings on Saturn, right? Like, I mean, they're, they're gorgeous, right? Have you seen the rings on Saturn? And like none of that stuff existed at the time that this stuff was written down, but we're constantly able through technology and other things that God gives us to see new ways of God's playfulness and God's creativity. The depths of the ocean, right? There are creatures that live down there with these weird tentacles and all this. Like nobody would have been able to see that before now. And like now we're seeing it, but yet it was there. They were there the whole time. Part of God's playfulness, part of God's creativity, um, part of God's just enjoying like 
being the artist, right? Because why else would God create something that lives in the depths of the darkness of the ocean if it weren't that one day we would discover yeah. it and be like, what? That's there? <laughs> yeah. There's no purpose yeah. for it being there. Right, you can't swim down <laughs> right. there. Like, you'd crush your head. The pressure would be right. too, like, but no, like, you could, there it is. Like, yeah. it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the thing that, to me, in hearing that, and, you know, I watched my, my son, Braden, um, he, gosh, the way that he experiences the world, he just, for him, the world is a place that's full of wonder. Um, and it, it is, um, it's a constant reminder, as much as we might be like, Braden, come on, we, we have to go, like, we have, we have somewhere to be, you know, he's like, nothing's going to hurry him, because he is experiencing everything that's around him. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're drawn to people like that, or they frustrate us, because it's not in us. Um, but I think the the thing that is so difficult is that we, the world is an amazing place and we're not impressed, right? Mm. We've, we've forgotten the enjoyment and the delight in what God has given us and the delight that God has given us in the gift of relationship and the delight that God has given us in, in this world. We've gone away from that. And, and, and yet I think now more than, other, more than ever, God, we desperately need to come back to that place. Well, and interestingly, right, after creation is done, the last thing that God creates is Sabbath. Right. And that's an opportunity for us to do exactly what you were just, what you were just saying, Vern, to, to stop. Um, Pete Scazzaro, in, in his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, talks about Sabbath like this. He says there's, there's these steps. He says, first of all, the first thing you need to do in order to be able to see what God's up to in your life um, is just unplug. Mm. Just stop. Like, whatever you're doing, stop. Get out of the rat race. Like, unplug from work. Like, disengage from social media. Don't watch the news. Just stop. Can I, can I speak to that real yeah. quick? A lot of us probably feel like, well, I, I am, like, I'm right. kind of in this forced stop or this stopped, forced yeah. slow down. But I want us to hear that word unplug, right? Mm -hmm. We have maybe, we're not as busy with work as we used to, day, to be, but we have busied ourselves with the constant barrage of information and the opinions of others. And it is, we need a season when we can cease from it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Scazzaro says, stop, first of all, rest, secondly. Um, so find, like, whatever work that you know that you need to do, clean the house, get ready for the meeting on Monday, like, all that stuff, like, get all that stuff, prepare meals, like, do all that stuff ahead of time so that when you get to the point where you stop and unplug, you actually can rest. And then after that, delight. Mm. That's the next step that he offers. Like, find something, whether it's playing music or listening to music or hanging out with your family or your kids or your whoever. Um, get outside, like go for a walk. Eugene Peterson used to take walks every single Monday with his wife um, in the morning. That's how they spent the entire morning was walking through the woods and just noticing creation and <laughs> just, just peacefully walking slowly, right. purposefully right. though. Um, and, and then reflect is, is Cazero's last step. Like spend some time thinking about what you've just seen. And so I, again, I just want to remind us that that's part of what is built into us as human beings is that we need to be able to have Sabbath. God gave us that as a gift, as a part of the creation story to say, hey, you need to stop and you need to be able to unplug and you need to just enjoy mm. me and my creation and our relationship. And we have this tendency to work for Sabbath, mm. but the reality is we are meant um, to, to live life from Sabbath. Like right. out of Sabbath, we are meant to live life. Sabbath is productive work. Right. Like we don't think of it like that, right? right? But that is part of what empowers us to be productive the rest of the time is that we have had 
that, that intentional time uh, to unplug and to rest and to delight and to reflect on God's goodness. Yeah, and I, and I think for us, that's as we begin this series, um, and, and gosh, the things that we, um, that you're gonna have the opportunity, that we're all gonna have the opportunity here over the next few weeks are kind of some practical, like this is how we do this. But, but we just would encourage you as we, as we step into this week to consider that word delight, right? I mean, that's what play is. Like that's why kids love to play. That's why we love watching kids play because it's about delighting. Yeah. It's about delighting and, and it's about freedom. And, and I love, going back to Proverbs 8, I love that um, the way that, you know, if, if we think of wisdom being the first characteristic, the first thing that comes forth, wisdom is like it's the wisdom of God that created the order, that yeah. ordered things. And yet it's in, within that order, within the boundaries of that order, that there's freedom. You know, David says in Psalm 16, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Like God's order exists so that within that we might find delight, we might find enjoyment, we might practice some of those, those Sabbath things, being still, slowing down, enjoying food. I dare you to eat a Freestone South Carolina peach and, <laughs> and tell me that God doesn't mean for us to delight yeah. in, in what he's given us, yeah. right? Um, and, and so as, as we step into this week, we just want to encourage you to think about how this, this theology of play, how this idea that we were, we like, play and, and whimsy and delight and enjoyment were written into who we are and how we are meant to relate to God and how we're rela- meant to relate to his creation and how we are meant to relate to one another. And gosh, maybe now more than ever, we need yeah. to come back to a place where we understand what it means to delight in one another, even if we disagree on things, yeah. to delight in one another. Because when we do that, then we're stepping into something of what God's kingdom, the promise that God's kingdom, you know, is going to be. Yeah. Um, anything else? Because I want to close. Yeah, with no, just that, that part about even if we disagree, I think that's so important. I, I, reading a Mr. Rogers book in our Sunday school classes, Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers, um, it's awesome. Read that during your rest time. Um, it, he talks about appreciating people. And you can appreciate someone whether you agree with them or not. Like you can appreciate their passion for whatever it is that they're talking about that you think they're completely wrong about. Like you can appreciate that passion. Um, but finding those, those areas of, uh, of pointing out the image of God in them and recognizing it, naming it, and, and, and loving it and appreciating it, appreciating it as he would say. Yeah. yeah. So there's, uh, there's a German uh, theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, was born in um, 1926. And um, my theology professor, like, studied with him. And so anytime my theology professor would talk about Moltmann, he's speaking about him as, as I would speak about you and time yeah. spent with you. And I'm just like, oh man, I would give anything to have sat, you know, been a fly on the wall in, in those conversations. But Moltmann has this book, uh, Theology of Play. Um, and, and I love that. Like as theologians are wrestling with what it means to, you know, th- that we are gods and that we're meant to live a life that reflects God, that this is one of the things that, that comes out of that. Um, it's out of print now. I looked for it uh, this week, and the person that has it on Amazon is um, selling it for $399. So <laughs> if you have a copy laying around, we'd love to have one uh, here at the church. But he, he, he writes these things about play. Um, I want to leave you with this. He says, play foreshadows the joy of the eschaton, where all manner of drudgery and disease and decay and death will be left behind. It is not useless activity. Play is a celebration of life lived to its fullest. In play, we emulate God's actions who did not create the universe because it was necessary. God is playful. He enjoys creating and playing. Play 
relativizes our over-seriousness toward life, filling us with a spirit of joy and delight that carries over into all aspects of our existence. Play is not time out from work, and it is not rest time either. It is kingdom foreshadowing. It is a momentary escape into the future reality that God intended for us all. Hmm. Friends, this week, may you find delight in your relationship with God. May you find delight in the world that God has given us to enjoy. May you find delight in one another. And may your heart be filled with a spirit of play as we step into what God has in store for us. Amen.